0: We just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word. We ask that you guide and lead us as we see what you would have us to learn from all of this. In your son's name, amen. Colossians chapter one, last week we did uh, verses um, 21, and twen- uh, uh, 21 and 22, but we're going to go back and we're going to read this uh, one sentence that Paul writes here in this uh, section that we've been in the middle of for a couple weeks. And as I said, Paul likes writing just little sentences that run on for uh, eight or nine verses in our Bible. So he's well known for that. So we're going to start reading at 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Since you abide in faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my suffering for you, and fill up that which is behind of their afflictions of Christ, in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church." Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and generations but now is made manifest to us saints to whom god would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the gentiles which is christ in you the hope of glory whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in christ whereunto i also labour striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily all right that was all one sentence now, if you were in school writing that sentence in an English class, your teacher would tell you, go back and rewrite it. <laughs> no, no run-on sentence. But Paul loved run-on sentences. Uh, so we're going to be looking, because we've been on this verse for a while, uh, this uh, one sentence. Right now we're going to be in verse 23. Since you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature that is under heaven... This whole thing, if you have a King James Bible that starts out with the word if, that's not a good translation of that word in Greek. It should be since, since you are grounded, not if, because in English we have this idea and we've talked about this in our, especially how to study the Bible class. uh, In Greek there's the word if, there's more than one word for if, so it is properly translated into if, but it really means since, (laughs) okay. It means if if and it's true. Alright, and, and we in English always think of if then else. If this is true, then this will happen, else something else will happen. In this particular case, the word used is since. If and it is true if you want to say it in its very very strictest sense. So Paul is saying, since you have been since you continue or abide you know, the idea of continuing and abiding. When God settles us, it is a permanent place. When we get saved, it is permanent because it is the work of God. And he goes, since you abide, not you might abide or you you may be staying to abide. Again, I don't like the word continue here because it is literally to abide, to stay, to live. You you have a home and you abide in your home and you stay in your home at night, usually, (laughs) unless you're on vacation. Hopefully you don't have a home and go spend, spend night everywhere else. <laughs> uh, but he says, since you abide in the faith. Now this word faith is an interesting thing because it means to have that trust in God. And we're having some comments all the time, you know, how many times do you hear, especially political people, you know, people of, people of faith. Okay, I hate that term. I really do. People of faith, okay, well, who, what do they have faith in? Everybody has faith, okay? Everybody has faith. If you're living, you have faith. You all are sitting down on these pews. You have faith that these pews are going to hold you up, (laughs) okay? And uh, otherwise, you wouldn't have sat down, okay? And I've told you, especially a few years ago, back when I was a lot heavier, uh, those old... uh, catering chairs, the white ones would have no, that look like if you put a put a 10 pounds on it, they will fall apart. Well, I sat on enough of those that fell apart that I would not sit on those anymore. I do not have the faith that those work. <laughs> okay, so we all have faith. We all have faith. God created us and gave us faith. It's how do we use it and what do we have faith in? So Paul is saying you have faith, you abide in the faith, and then he says it's grounded and settled faith. Faith in what? The work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and then was resurrected three days later for our salvation. No other way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. And in our day, in our world, that is so narrow-minded as far as people are concerned. But you know what? Jesus said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And the Bible says that Jesus says it, I'm going to believe it. What what do you do with people who haven't heard it? Well, we're going to get further into there. Paul already answers that. Paul already answers that in this verse. He goes, and you've been grounded and settled. Have you really thought about this, being grounded in God? How do you get grounded and settled in God? Read his word. Spend time reading his word be taught by a good teacher, listen to good teachers on the radio, whatever, get grounded. What's so much special is when, when hard times hit us, we sang that song through it all. When hard times hit us, it tells us how grounded we are in God. Now think about that, if you're grounded in God's word, isn't it easier to go through the problem than have it just come out of the blue? I've shared with you, when problems come my way, I go, God, okay, I don't understand this. It seems terrible, but you have promised that all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of your your name, so this is going to be for good. Don't understand how it could be, don't understand how you're going to do it, but you've promised that it will. And the good news is, I've only been walking with him for 46 years, and he's always turned everything for good. So I have absolute confidence that he'll continue making it, for good, and you know what? I have confidence that he'll make it good for you as well, because he's promised it. How much easier is it to go through a problem when you go, God, you've got a a purpose for it? I've been grounded in his word. God, you're sovereign, you're in control of all things. Does that make it easier to go through something hard? God, you're in control. I've said it over and over, I love this statement, the one thing you'll never hear God say is, I didn't know that was gonna happen. You'll, you'll never hear that from God we will say that all the time but we're never gonna hear God say well I just didn't know that was gonna happen I am just so surprised <laughs> you surprised me he is absolute sovereign you know just one of the reasons I love the book of Job because you read those first two couple chapters of Job and Satan goes to go and ask God for permission to do anything to Job now I hope that that hits you the way it does me Nothing comes my way that Satan doesn't have to ask for permission to make happen. Now I can do lots of things that cause uh, consequences because I have a free will. But if it's outside of what I cause and Satan is the culprit of it, he had to ask for permission. Does that give you a great sense of hope? That whatever happens is only by permission. Now, probably wouldn't help you anymore if you went through a job losing all your wealth, all your, all your home, all your kids, everything everything you have, your health. doesn't really help unless you grab hold of all things work together for good and that God gave permission for some reason that he's going to try our faith. What is he trying to prove to us in our trials of the faith? Is he trying to discover what we believe? No, he knows what we believe. He's trying to get us to understand what we believe. Have you ever gone through something where you go, there is, I just believe this God, I'm well, unshakable in, this, I, in this, this truth? And God gives you a test, and you fail it. <laughs> you know, uh, for, many, for many people, it was, God, I would never commit adultery. And God says, okay, let's see whether that's true or not. Yeah. Most people who go on and commit adultery never planned on it. And would have said, no, I'm never going to do it. Put in a situation, God, I want to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth. Put in a situation where if you tell the truth, you know you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> or you can try to lie and maybe think you're going to stay out of trouble until the light blows up in your face and you get in trouble anyway. And yet, how many times will we choose the wrong thing? I have absolutely no idea how that got broken <laughs> to, to your boss on a critical piece of equipment that you dropped on the floor the night before. <laughs> I had somebody do that to me one time. <laughs> you know, dropped a piece of equipment on the floor and then didn't try to tell me he didn't, he didn't break it. <laughs> so you know, how easy is it when we're not fully grounded? And the test will tell, show us how grounded are we. The test we face will be how grounded are you? Will you trust in God even if you face death? Now luckily in our country, we don't have to do that yet. But there's coming a time where it probably will happen, where it will be against the law to be a Christian. Are you grounded in God's word enough to be able to say, God, I'm going to trust you if you want to take me to heaven today? (laughs) But you know, if you're grounded in God's word, what is death anyway but getting into God's presence? I, I look forward to the day that I'm going to die. Now, will I look forward to it on the day that it's supposed to happen? No, I'm hoping I will. But that'll be the ultimate test of our, is it true? This he says, you're continuing the faith, grounded and settled, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Not moved away. Yeah. This is kind of an interesting phrase because he says, nothing has moved you. And this is in a passive, so it's happening to you. So nothing, he goes, you're not being moved away. You're not being swayed. One of the things we need to be so careful of is what teachers we listen to. If we listening to somebody who's not teaching biblically, we need to be very careful and get away from that person because they can move you away from the gospel. And he says the hope. Now, we've talked about this word is also hope is not like we use it in English. Well, I hope maybe something might happen. Hope in the the King James New Testament is a confident expectation of something going to be there. Now, it has an element of hope. We're not absolutely sure because we have faith in it, but we are confident. When I go through something bad in my life, I am confidently sure. My hope is and my confidence is that God is going to make something good happen because he promised it. So I am confidently expecting. I am confidently expecting to go to heaven when I die because that's what God said is going to happen. I confidently expect him to never give me more than I can handle because that's what he promises me in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But getting into God's word, knowing his word, being grounded in his word, we can have confident expectation of what he's going to do for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Have you ever gone through a dis- discussion of yourself? Should I, what should I do? Especially any kind of a major decision. Where should I move? Where, what job should I go, go to? What, you know, should I retire at, at, at 50 or 62 or 105? <laughs> you know, and how often do we go put it all up into a, Con list. Uh, okay, God, here's all the good marks I have. Here's all the bad marks. Okay, more, more good than bad, I'm going to do it. And God says, well, no, I really want you to do this other one. <laughs> My plan is for you this other one. Well, God, it doesn't look right. That's, that's his plan. Yeah. How many times in your life has God told you to do something that made no sense? It's happened to me a lot. Go do this, and I'm going, God, that's, I don't want to do that. that. That makes no sense. You know, really easy when you know that he's telling you to do it. (laughs) But, you know, we need to put God first in all that we do. Because it is so, so easy for us to just push God back on the side burner. God, uh, when I need you, I'll ask for your help. A lot of Christians live that way. A lot of non-Christians try to live that way. You know, when I get really bad, I'll go to God and ask for something. And God says, oh, I don't need to listen to you. You're not one of my children. But, you know, it's really sad for when Christians live that way. God, just kind of stay back in the back bedroom uh, when I need you. I, I like you in my heart, but when I need you, I'll drag you out of the bedroom and let you guide me. That's not what he wants. His title is Lord. Lord sits on the throne of our life and tells us what to do. You now, Especially as Americans, we don't like that. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. Great example, driving down the road. If you're like me, you, the speed limit is a suggestive speed. <laughs> you know, uh, now, I don't go way over it, but I go over the speed limit. Yeah, we don't like to be told what to do. How many of us are all that way? All of us. Tell, you, tell somebody you can't do something, correct them for what they're doing, and what do you usually get? More of what you've corrected. You know, more of what you tried to correct. We deal with kids with this all the time don't do this we harp on it we harp on it we harp on it and what we do we get more of the disobedience that we're trying to not have instead of rewarding the good behavior and watching them come up on the good we do this with God all the time God I just want to do things my way my way is going to get me in trouble but God I just want to do it my way (laughs) have you ever done anything with that mentality God I'm just going to do it my way I know what you want, but I, I don't want to bend my way. He says, The gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, the gospel message, Paul tells us, has been preached. Now you go, Well, some people haven't heard it. Well, let me tell you about this. The creation itself screams about God and his redemption, all of creation declares God's glory. Read, read Psalms and Psalms tells you that all the time. The heavens declare, the, the creation declares. People know the story. Why do they know these stories? Well for one thing we all come back come from the same family. You know, no matter where they live they come from the same family. They all have Noah and Mrs. Noah and one of his three sons and their wives as an ancestor and know the stories the stories are out there the stories are funny because I've had people go well you know listen to the Native Americans they know all about the gospel yep they know all about the gospel they don't fully understand it but they know the gospel because their stories have the gospel in it because the gospel was presented a long time ago yeah in all these different places God's message is there God's message is there that you cannot get to heaven on your own merits Our flesh does not like that message. (laughs) The flesh does not like that message. Even amongst Christians, we like to think, uh, God, you're so lucky you had me. Look at all the good things I've done. Now, we may not say that out loud, but don't we do that in our attitude quite often? God, I am doing so much good. You are just so lucky that I'm one of your children. (laughs) You're not having to spank me every day, and you're not trying to do this. You're just so lucky that I'm here serving you. How do I know that that's happened? Because I've seen it over and over and over again, especially with people who grow up in the church. Somehow people, kids who grow up in the church and become adults who somehow think that their sin doesn't stink as bad as the sin of other people. You know, well, God, I never got into drugs and alcohol and, and uh, fornication. You know, I, I, you're, you're just lucky to have me. And God says, well, what about all the gossip and the lies and the cheating that you've done? And you go, well, God, that's not quite as bad. Those, those are big sins. Those, the sins I haven't done are big sins. And God says, no, they're all sin. You know, we have to really understand because it'll affect the way we minister to people. How many times, especially this time of year, have I heard somebody go, well, you can't give stuff to that family because they're, they're a bunch of people that are you know, in bad shape because their parents are drinking and, and, and drugging all their money away. Okay. And? <laughs> Where's God's mercy and God's grace in that? I am so glad that God gives us mercy on a daily basis. I hope you are too. I have plenty enough sin in my own life every day that if God gave me what I deserved, I'd be in trouble because I wouldn't be here because the wages of sin is death. And if he gave me what I deserved and not mercy, I'd be in a lot of trouble. And so would everybody listening to this message be in a lot of trouble. We need to learn to give that mercy to others. When we don't think that they deserve mercy it is exactly the time to give them mercy. Because is mercy deserved? No. If it was was deserved it would be wages. It wouldn't be mercy. We give people grace. We give things they don't deserve because they don't deserve it. If they deserved it it would be wages. I'm giving you what you deserve. God gives us mercy he doesn't give us our destruction that we deserve we as people need to learn to give mercy to others does that mean we tell them oh your sins okay absolutely not we will tell them that their sin is sin but we're going to treat them with mercy we preach the truth and we treat the person with love and mercy and give them grace and this is what Paul says all the world knows it people know that they're doing wrong We know we're doing wrong when we do wrong. Even the lost person knows that they're doing wrong, that they should tell the truth, that they should not steal, that they should not commit fornication and adultery. They know the truth, and they know what they're doing is wrong. Now, the Bible tells us they can do it long enough to seal their conscience and no longer feel the guilt pangs, but it's the guilt that brings us to God to say, God, I can't do it. I need you. I need you and that's when Jesus says thank you I've done the work for you I'm gonna come in and this is what Paul says the world has heard and then Paul goes and I've been made a minister you know as each one of us as a Christian we are ministers for Christ to somebody who are you a minister to in your life in your family at work do you share God with other people do they know that you're a Christian Do your neighbors know you're a Christian? How many of us know our neighbors? You know, in this little town, it's a little easier. You you get into Kingman or even something like Phoenix or LA, you might not even know your neighbors, the way people live. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Have you ever shared it? Do they, do you live a lifestyle that they said, look, they would go, that's a Christian. That's a Christian. We are ministers. How about your family? Are there members in your family that you have not shared the gospel with? To me, that would be a scary thought. To not love your family member enough to just say, you can go to hell and I don't care, is a really scary thought to me. But if you don't share the gospel, that's exactly what you're saying to them. You're headed to hell and I don't care. That is not the attitude we should have as a Christian. Does that mean you tell, every time you see that lost ma- family member, you hammer them with the gospel? No. But have they heard the gospel? Have you presented the gospel to your family? Especially your own children or grandchildren. You know, we re- recently went back back and saw our first grandchild. And I, used, I was holding him and I'm going, Jesus loves you and you're gonna be a good, good follower of Jesus. He was three months old. <laughs> you know, but I'm gonna start, I wanted to start speaking to him the truth. Now is he gonna remember all that? No, probably not. But, you know, God tells us to speak it to these children anyway and responsible for raising them up. The ultimate responsibility will go to his dad and his mom, but, you know, I'm not going to miss any opportunity to share the gospel with him because I care. (laughs) I want to make sure that he is going to spend eternity with us. Verse 24, Who now rejoice in my suffering for you, and fill up that which is behind of, of, their affli- of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now this is kind of interesting. He says, Paul rejoices in his suffering. Is that your attitude when you go through hard times? Do you rejoice? First Thessalonians says, in, all, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. Not in just the good things. Not in what I think is good, but in everything. Paul said his sufferings he rejoiced in that word for rejoice is exceedingly rejoiced. Why? Because what he went through was to help build up the church. He was an example. People could look at Paul and say, Well, if Paul could go through that. I think maybe I could go through something not quite as bad. You know. Paul he went he went through stoning. They they tried to kill him. Paul, to get here, you got shipwrecked. He was in the the water. You know, Paul Paul got beat. Does that help give you confidence? If somebody else can go through something, it should give you some confidence, not to make it any easier, but to know that there's a plan. One of the things we encourage you to do is read biographies of these great Christian leaders. And it's kind of fun reading them sometimes because all of a sudden, sometimes all you know about them is how great they were but to see how they got where they are, or were in, in many cases, is kind of interesting. They did not become a spiritual giant in, in Christianity by not having any problems. They had lots of problems, lots of issues in their life. They just overcame them through the power of God, and God used them as they overcame. And. You know, one of my greatest story, stories of George Mueller, he's, he ran orphanages in England, and he was a prayer warrior. He didn't have a lot of money. One morning, he's sitting down for breakfast, and the cooks come in and say, there's no food for the kids. All the kids were sitting at the table, hundreds of kids. And he goes, okay, sit him down. We're going to pray for, pray for this meal. And he starts praying for God, thank you for the meal that we're about to consume, and he hasn't even finished, and there's a knock on the door and the break, baker's there with a bunch of bread. They get the bread started to be passed out and there's another knock on the door and the guy goes, uh, my wagon broke down, I've got to dump all this milk, uh, could you use it? <laughs> how, much, how many of us would have had the kids sitting down and praying, thank you for this food, when there's nothing to give them? Where is our faith? How strong is our faith? Now was George Mueller that way all the time? No, in his early days he didn't even know to pray and he prayed for some things he wasn't even sure that God would answer. And yet, he got to be a prayer warrior. How do we get there? We study, we get grounded, and we practice. We practice. We watch what God is doing in our life. When God puts a test in our life and we, we fail it, be ready for it to come back. God doesn't keep, move you to the next level until you pass that test. So, when you, good news, if you fail a test, get ready, start getting ready for the next one. It's going to be in the same category. Maybe not the same exact test, but the same category. If he's trying to teach you patience, get ready to have your patience tried at whatever level your patience is supposed to be tried. If he's teaching you to love people, be ready to have very hard to love people in your life. Whatever God's teaching you, be ready for the test because it's coming. And the more you know about it, the harder the test is. So be ready for that as well. And he says... I rejoice in my sufferings for you. He wasn't just rejoicing in them because he was going through them. That would be crazy. He was rejoicing in the sufferings because they were being ministered to by the suffering. People were looking at Paul and going, oh, you're going through a lot. This must really be important. If you're going to go through suffering and you're going to pass the suffering, it's usually because you think something's important enough to persevere through the trouble. If you don't think it's important, you will just say, goodbye, I'm not going to go through this. When you sin, you think, okay, God, this sin is important enough to me that I want to sin rather than obey you. Really, that's what we're saying. This activity, God, is more important to me than obedience to you. We've got to think about these things. Now, again, we're not going to go say, I'm just going to send God, you're not that important. But isn't that what we're saying when we say, God, I know what you want me to do, but I'm going to do this anyway? This is more important. Ten Commandments, there shall be no other God before Him. Is He most important in all aspects of your life? I can tell you, as much as I want to say it's true in my life, there's certain things that I struggle with that are that it doesn't fit. One of the commandments we break frequently, God, you're not the most important thing in my life. And yet if we ask people, we'll go, yeah, God's important to me. Yeah. And I say that and I come to church six times a week. Because <laughs> I'm the one teaching most of the classes everybody comes to. Yeah. Think about this. How important is God to you? Is he number one? Is he always going to be there? And he goes, and I fill up that which is behind of their affliction, of the affliction of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, the church. Paul says, I am suffering for you, church. For you. And this fill up means literally he gets filled up again and again and again. And we look at Paul's life. You know, Paul, one of the greatest apostles, had a very, Easy life, right? You know everywhere he went, he got chased out of town. If he didn't get chased out of town, he got thrown into prison. If he didn't get just thrown into prison, he got beat. You know, one place they stoned him. You know. Now, how many of us would like to be Paul? <laughs> you know, uh, it's kind of funny. You know, there's this thing about a. Uh, church looking for a pastor and Paul, Paul applies for the job. You know, I've like, been in prison so many times I get shipwrecked, uh, get chased out of every t- just about every town that I go to and I'm applying to be your pastor. Yeah. How many churches would even look at that application? Probably none. And yet they would get rid of Paul. <laughs> they would get rid of Paul. Paul says, I have suffered for your sake. Yeah. He told... One church, he goes, I am looking forward to go to heaven, but to be with you and to teach you is more important than going to heaven at this point in time. I understand that truth. Greatest thing I want to do, I want to go to heaven. But yet to teach people and help them grow is more important than being in heaven right now. Because if that's what God wants, that's what I want to do. And I love to teach. But you know, I'm looking forward to heaven. I am looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to all the pain trials. And you know the greatest thing I'm looking forward to heaven is not forgetting what I get taught. <laughs> you know, it's terrible to go through something go, I used to know this and now I have to relearn it. Terrible. I'm looking forward to being in heaven and not forgetting anything that I'm ever taught. <laughs> but you know, for us, what are we willing to go through for a soul? In my office there's a big, piece of paper that says, what is the value of one soul? What are you willing to go through? What pain, what suffering would you go through if one soul would come to heaven because of it? Something to be thinking about. What is the value of one soul? Are you willing to be martyred if somebody will come to Christ for it? Worse yet, are you willing to suffer pain and agony? for the rest of your life if one soul came to heaven for it. Because to be a martyr is pretty simple. A few minutes of pain, dead, gone, heaven. To actually have to suffer through huge pain for the rest of your life would be a big deal. Would you be willing to give that much? Now both Paul and Moses said something that I'm not there yet. God, I would be willing to go to hell if you would take all the rest of the people. I don't have quite that much love for people. Yeah. But you know, it showed their heart for people. God, I would go through great pain and suffering if it would be that you would take the rest of the nation, I would do it. Jesus did it knowing, knowing that it would bring people to him. How dedicated are we toward God? What would we be willing to go through? We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come and it's a fairly heavy message, Lord. But we ask that you challenge our hearts, that you make us bring a decision that we are going to follow after you with our whole heart. Give us strength, wisdom. Put put your spirit in us that we are willing to do whatever you want us to do, so that somebody can come to you, Lord. If there's anyone that listens to this message on the right now, or even on the the internet that doesn't know you we ask them that they recognize that they are a sinner they deserve punishment you died for that sin so that they don't have to be punished and that they would just recognize it and confess their sin that they're a sinner and repent from their sins and ask you to come into their life and then follow you and find a good church to be part of and we just thank you in Jesus name amen